0: Okay, tonight we're going to read Psalm 40. And this psalm is absolutely a loaded prophetic psalm about Jesus Christ. It was, it was penned by David, but of course he was led by the Holy Spirit. And David definitely sung this song, but it was the prophetic purpose of Christ as the second David, truthfully the uh, one was the type the other's the anti-type Jesus Christ and this psalm along with many 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 psalms are really about the person of Jesus Christ even though they were penned by old testament believers saints through the holy spirit because as we've said before we know that Christ is the word of god so everything about it, all prophecy and all types are all in Jesus Christ. So this is, this is an amazing psalm, and we're going to we'll read the uh, first nine verses, but this is what it says in verse one, it says, "I waited patiently for the Lord. who that can give us some hope. because this is said in the spirit of Christ, and it was actually fulfilled. In his life, while he was on the earth. And the Hebrew says, and you can see a lot in, in margins in the margins, in the Hebrew it says, "In waiting, I waited for him." So Christ again, it says that he is saying, "I waited, and in my waiting, I waited for the Lord." And he inclined unto me. And he heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit. The Hebrew says it's a pit of noise or a pit of destruction. And it was a, a, a pit of destruction, a pit of noise and destruction, out of the miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my goings. And he has put a new song in my mouth, even praise unto our God. Many will see it in fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust and respects not the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts which are to usward. They cannot be reckoned up in order unto you. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears have you opened, really the Hebrew says, my ears have you dug, you've digged them. Burnt offering and sin offering have you not required. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me. Of course, just reading that alone, you know that that couldn't be said of David. Had to be said, and it was said of Jesus Christ. Read it again. Then said I, Lo, I come, in the volume of the book it is written of me, I delight to do your will. Oh my God, yes, your law is within my heart. It's within my very bowels. It's within everything about who I am. I have preached righteousness in the great congregation. Lo, I have not refra- refrained my lips. O oh Lord, you know. And of course we said these words here, obviously, through the Holy Spirit, were penned by David. And of course, David was the type of Christ in this instance. Only a type where Jesus Christ was, was the antitype. And David was anointed by God. And of course, the name Christ is the anointed one, Jesus Christ. But David here is the anointed one. And he is on his way to the throne to rule over Israel. But even that being said, we can see again here where the words are so molded by the Holy Spirit. And of course, the Holy Spirit here, in this instance, is the spirit of prophecy. That of course, they sound at the same time like words, as we've said, of the second David. And the second David is Jesus Christ. And David was penning these as he was passing through his suffering. But this was all prophetic and all pointing to Jesus Christ, the Lamb, as he was passing through his sufferings on his way to glory. And those sufferings that Jesus Christ endured when he, in God's due time, his appointed time in Galatians 4.4, he was born (coughs) of a woman under the law to redeem us under the law and to bring us to God. So through all of his suffering, he was on his way to glory. And thank God, because of that, that's exactly our place. Yes, we pass through sufferings, but it's only on our way to glory. We've said before in Colossians 1 verse 27, it says Christ in you, Christ in us, he is the hope, he's the guarantee of an absolutely glorious future. But in between is the sufferings. But Christ's sufferings put an end and was the close of all the animal sacrifices that were in the Old Testament that were offered up as a type of Jesus Christ and how When the Father, he would just pass by. He would pass by all of these sins and all of the shortcomings of all the people, especially of Israel, of course. And it would say, Micah would say in Micah 7, verse 18, Who is a God like unto you that would pass by? Iniquities. And then he would say in the 19th verse of chapter 7 of Micah, he would that he would bury them in the sea and the sea there would speak of the forgetfulness of God about how Christ would come and would so take care of all this the sin question and pay for all the sins that they would be forever. God the Father would view us in the perfection of Christ's work. In other words, he would see us perfectly in him. And of course, That was what was put an end to all those sacrifices. And so we see it's Jesus Christ, his person and his work are the very kernel, it says, the very star of that whole role of the law. He was the only one that could fulfill it. That's why he said in John 4, verse 34, he said that my meat, my very sustenance is to do the will of him. And to finish the work. There was never, ever one in God's eternal thought that would ever fulfill his will. So that he could be so set free, having justice and holiness and righteousness and integrity fulfilled through Jesus Christ, so that we could experience the full, complete satisfaction of his unconditional love towards us. Was never outside of Christ, ever. And that's why in Romans 10, verse 4, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. In other words, it's not our performance. It's not our doing anything. It's receiving continually through the pure grace of God what has already been accomplished by Jesus Christ's person and by his work. That's why he said, I had to wait patiently. His whole life, as a human being, was one of patiently, continually waiting on God to do what He would do through Him for all of us. And that's what He did. His person and work would end the law. So, David, here, you can see in these first four, four <clears throat> verses here that David is in a situation and he's just been re- rescued from danger. And I don't know about you and I, but at times it seems that we are going through a time of suffering, a time when, it, when by sight things look very, very dangerous to us. And then what happens? God comes in. And the reason that he can come in is because of the very person and work of Jesus Christ. Christ in us. He is in us. And thank God that he's in us. And not only is He in us, but He is our very life in Colossians 3, verse 4. We have an abundant life in Him because of His sufferings, because of everything that He went through for us. So in John 10, verse 10, the B part, He came that we might have life and have it more abundantly to experience that life. So He has just been through And rescued through this danger. But here the whole theme. The whole theme of this 40th Psalm. Is the theme of that one perfect obedience. Of the man. Christ Jesus. That's literally what it is. It's it's his perfect obedience. Which what? Which sets aside. And that's what he did. His own perfect obedience. Because of it. He the law was set aside and it replaces all the animal sacrifices there's no more sacrifice now he's he being the perfect sacrifice to god for us we've said recently so many times that what he did was to his father in propitiating his father and then in propitiating or meeting the perfect righteousness and justice and holiness of God his Father. He could be free to love us and that you and I could be reconciled. So we've said before that propitiation would be the Godward side of the cross that Jesus Christ accomplished. He propitiated. He fully satisfied the Father completely about the sin issue. And then, all of us who would receive the fact that he did pay for all of our sins, when we received him as our Savior, and we said yes to him as Savior, what we were saying was, was that the sin issue was dealt with, and that all of our sins were dealt with. We were completely removed through him. Thus, we were reconciled to God because we had Jesus Christ as our substitute. He took the wrath of God that should have came, should have been placed upon us, but he took it. And his whole life was one of one patiently waiting. And think of it even in the garden. Just the thought of the approaching of all the sins, the transgressions, and all the sins that would come upon him as he was approaching it. He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, and in Luke 22, verse 44, it says, he began to sweat great drops of blood. And really what was was happening was he was sensing all that was going to come upon him and sensing that there would be a separation in his humanity from his father. And still, through all of that suffering, he waited patiently. That speaks of the unbelievable love of God for us as he patiently uh, waited upon his Father for his sake and for our blessing so that, again, they could be so free to love us with nothing in between, everything being dealt with. And we've said it several times and I, I really want to say it again, every single thing that could condemn us, or that we could use to condemn ourselves, or that the atmosphere could accuse us with, was all condemned in Jesus Christ. In his very person, and, and doing so, his work accomplished for us what was impossible for us to even begin to think about He accomplished it, and he removed it. And so that's the whole theme of this particular psalm here. It is the theme of his perfect obedience as becoming a man. And that is a beautiful thing. It ended all the works. It's no more works for us. It's just receiving everything about our life as believers is receiving Jesus Christ who is our life and what he accomplished. It's constantly receiving it. That's grace. Ephesians 2 verse 8, we were delivered. We were saved by grace. And 1 Peter 1 5, we are kept by that grace. And he is in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 10, he is the God of of all grace. And we become good stewards in 1 Peter 4, verse 10, of that manifold, that very many-sided grace of God. In other words, for every single need that we need is met by Jesus Christ and we receive it by grace and we reflect His very nature that did it all for us when we receive it. Because we said, He is Our very, very life. And what that means then is this. Because of his perfect obedience, because of his perfect patience, his perfect suffering, in that, in his person and in his work, what do we find? We find absolute acceptance before God. We are accepted by God in Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait to be accepted. There's nothing for you and I to do to be accepted. Not a thing. Ephesians 1 verse 6, we were accepted in the beloved. In other words, what that means is is that you and I are loved just like God the Father loves Jesus Christ. We don't have to wait. We don't have to do a single thing because The only one that could do it is our life. And we just keep on receiving it, no matter what. We said in James 4, verse 8, we continually draw nigh to God. How? Through Jesus Christ. There's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. And we can draw near with a true heart and full assurance in Hebrews 10, verse 22. We have full assurance that we are completely accepted because of him, because of Jesus Christ. We don't have to hesitate. And thank God, even when we fail because of him, we can name it and confess it and get right back into the truth of how completely we are accepted. In 1 John 1, Verse 9. We can just simply confess it. And so we live in the constant acceptance of Jesus Christ. And why? Because the obedience of one. What happened? Made many righteous. That's what Paul was saying in Romans 5, verse 19. Through the disobedience of one. That Adam nature, many were made sinners, but through the obedience of one, Jesus Christ, many were made righteous. In other words, we're put in an absolutely perfect, right standing before God the Father. Did you know that's our position right now? (coughs) It's nothing we're waiting for. Our position is in Christ perfect before the Father. We've said before, We are to never define ourselves. God never wants to define ourselves after when we fail because Jesus Christ dealt with it. We are to never define ourselves when others fail us because Jesus Christ, he is the perfect definition of who you and I are before God. We are never to define ourselves outside of him ever and thank God that he became a man what an amazing thing God became a man Jesus Christ became a man for his father and he did it for us and when he became a man we'll see it a little bit later He became a man forever. Forever identification with us. That's right. He's not ashamed, having put on humanity and becoming human. Perfect humanity, we've said in Hebrews 4, verse 15. Perfect humanity with no sin nature, but human, just as human as you and I are. But perfect humanity to be a perfect human high priest, and intercessor for us. He's, he intercedes for us. He intercedes because he's for us. He is the very definition of God that God is for us in perfect, satisfied love based upon a declaration of his own righteousness. Yeah. God through Jesus Christ, has declared us to be perfectly righteous. So should we define ourselves other than anything, other than what God has said? God's final statement towards you and I for all eternity is Jesus Christ. That's who we are, before God the Father. And thank God for that. Well, he said... Jesus, while he was human, he said, he brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of a pit of noise. Think of, he was so rejected and despised by so many. In Isaiah 53, 3 and 4, he was so despised and rejected. What a pit of noise. He came unto his own, the nation of Israel. In John 1 verse 11. And they rejected him. They hated him. They hated him, we said recently, without a cause. In John 15 verse 25. They hated him without a cause. It was prophesied of him. In Psalm 35 verse 19. In Psalm 69 verse 4. He was hated without a cause, and they were constantly seeking to destroy him, to kill him. But God, he said, brought me up also out of a horrible pit. He brought me up out of miry clay, Sometimes we find ourselves in situations where it's miry clay. It's like quicksand. There's no getting out. It's impossible. But what is what was, would be to you and I in our circumstances, situations, what might be impossible for us is possible with God through Jesus Christ because he went before us and he did it. And so he was brought up. Out of a horrible pit. And he what? Out of a miry clay. It wasn't impossible for him. It would have been for us. Oh, how impossible our life would be without him. Miry clay. No escape. But through him, oh yes. Oh yeah. Through death in Hebrews 2.14, he took away death. And he took away the fear of death for us. Because he conquered it. He conquered death. He conquered sin. He conquered sins. He conquered Satan. He conquered and fulfilled the law in Matthew 5.17 and 18. He did it all for us. It would have been impossible for you and I. And then he said he put a new song. He put a new song in my mouth. What's the new song? What was Jesus saying? What was the spirit of prophecy saying about Jesus Christ? He was talking about the resurrection. That's what he was talking about. The new song was the new song of resurrection. It was called accomplished redemption. He accomplished the Father's perfect will. And there's a new song, and thank God we—that's our song. He accomplished it. He did it. He finished the work in John nineteen thirty. And there's a new song in Revelations five, verse nine. That new song is our song. It's worthy is the Lamb. Yep, yeah. He's worthy. He's our Rock in First Corinthians ten verse 4. He's our rock. He was the rock in Exodus 33, verse 21, that was struck on Calvary. Like the song we heard, and even when the soldier pierced his side in John 19, verse 34, out came blood and water. The worst that man could do in piercing him would just bring out blood, redemption, And bring out water, cleansing. You are now clean through the word which I have spoken unto you. In John 15, verse 3, you're purged, you're clean. And without the shedding of blood, in Hebrews 9, verse 22, there is no remission, there is no canceling, there is no wiping out of sin. Yet he did the impossible. And he didn't bypass any of it. Not one sin. Not one transgression, nothing was passed by. And those three hours on Calvary, those very dark three hours on Calvary, nothing was passed by. Nothing. But he could sing the new song. And it's the new song. And Jesus could finally say, he could finally tell out, he could finally spell out God. He could finally spell out, God is love. Receive him. Receive me, and I'll put a new song in your mouth. You know, every situation and circumstance, we have Christ in us. And he comes through. It seems impossible at times. It seems impossible. There's no way out. And yet he always makes a way out because of Jesus Christ. And that becomes our opportunity again. He puts a brand new, that brand new song in our mouth and we can sing again, oh Lord, you are so worthy. And when we fail and when we quit and when we give up, he never quits. He can't fail. He can't lie in Titus 1, 2 and Hebrews 6, 18. He is grace and truth constantly. In John 1, verse 14, and he is always giving. He is free, he's totally free now to spell out God, to spell out all of his father's heart. All of his father's heart was poured out through him. And it's our new song. And he sings over us. In Psalm 22, verse 22, he sings over us in the great congregation. He sings in Hebrews two twelve. 12. He's not ashamed to call us brethren. He sings about what he's accomplished in us, who we are in him and who he is in us. Can you imagine? Oh, God. It's amazing when we think about it. And he said this. He said, many will see it and fear. They'll have an awe and a reverence. And because of it, they'll trust in the Lord. In other words, Jesus saying, listen, they're going to see what I've done. They're going to see what I've accomplished. I was the only one that could do it. That's right. I was the only one. And many are going to see it. And they're going to trust God. Because I'll be the means of their trust. I will be. I will be their trust. And again, it's even in Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord means you... De- Listen, there is no trust in the Lord apart from Jesus Christ. There was never any salvation other than Jesus Christ in Acts 4, verse 12. No other name given in heaven whereby men must be saved than Jesus Christ. And so to trust in the Lord is to trust in Christ and what he's accomplished. And then when we trust in him and we have the full eternal counsel of God's thoughts towards us through Jesus Christ, we don't lean on our own understanding. We don't allow anything to come in between us and Jesus Christ. Not a thing. Because He's removed it all. He removed it all. And so, blessed is the man that makes the Lord his trust. He'll be blessed because the Father's been glorified. And because of the glory of the Father through Jesus Christ, we can make the Lord our trust. And then what happens? We will not respect the proud. We won't fall prey to, our, to the flesh. We won't fall prey to the lies. In other words, it's just to turn aside to lies. And what's a lie? It's to rely on the self-life. We don't turn aside. Because we know in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4, the weapons of our warfare and our carnal. They're not flesh and blood, but they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And we can cast down imaginations in verse 5. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. And who is the complete, full knowledge of God if it isn't Jesus Christ? And it is. And he's our life. The one who fulfilled every single thing. For God the Father, he is our very life. He's our life. We're not our own. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, we are not our own. We were bought with a price. We, our rights are no longer over ourselves. Thank God it's him who's over us. He is our authority. He's our master. And he wants to continue to master us with the thoughts of him, his Father, Towards us, and that's why we don't turn aside to lies. And he said, "Many, O Lord, my God, are your wonderful works." Who's the Who's our Lord, our God? It's Jesus Christ. And there are so many wonderful works, so many that time is too small to express them all. He's going to express them all through Jesus Christ for all eternity. His thoughts. They are more than the sands of the sea. In Psalm 139, verse 17. It's going to take all of eternity for God to express just who we are continually through Jesus Christ. We're going to be receiving for all eternity. It's amazing when we think about it. It says, all your wonderful works, which you have done, who did it all. He did. That's why Christianity is receiving what's already been done by another, which was even possible for you and I to even think about, even trying to do. He finished. He did it all. They're wonderful works, and he's done it, and those thoughts are towards usward. They can't even be reckoned up in order unto us. He said, if I would declare and speak of them, he said, they are more than can be numbered. It's going to continue for all eternity. You can't count them. How much the thoughts of God towards us through Christ and his unbelievable love for us. For God so loved the world that he gave the greatest, brightest gift that he could ever give. He gave his son. We've said before, it'd be one thing if the if a father would give himself, but how much more if he would give his only precious beloved son? It's uh, his thoughts are incredible towards us; they can't be reckoned up. That's why John said in John twenty, uh, verse twenty five, he said if they were to be recorded, there would not be enough. Books in the whole world to record the works that He's accomplished. The works that Christ (coughs) has accomplished for the Father on our behalf will be revealed to us for all eternity. So we suffer for a time. We pass through suffering. But yet He led the way. He led the way. Be of good cheer. In this world, in John 16, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Why? Because I have already overcome the world. What you're passing through, I've already overcame it all. And I am leading you. Remember we said in Revelations 1, verse 8, he's our alpha, our beginning, and he's our omega. He's our end. And even before our start, God was already had the provision for us to lead us through every situation and circumstance and every trial. Because like the priests, they went first through the raging waters of the Jordan in Joshua 3, verse 6. And we just follow by pure grace and faith dependence in his footsteps in 1 Peter 2 verse 21. So as we begin to wrap this up, this is what it says. Sacrifice and offerings you did not desire. Because they could only cover. They could only cover. And they were never even offered in the right way. You know, Jesus Christ offered himself up perfectly for the Father. There was never a moment's hesitation in him offering himself up for the Father, to the Father, for us. Yet all these sacrifices, they may have been given hesitatingly, but never once Jesus Christ. Never once did he even hesitate giving himself up for us. Not one time. And what an amazing thing that is. He says, My ears have you opened. My ears you have dug. You dug. And l- literally, it has a similar reference in Exodus 21, verse 6. But it's not it's that express meaning here. That ex- the express meaning literally is this. Here's what it means to have his ears dug. Let me just read it as we wrap this up here. Let me read it to you, literally what this means in the original languages of the Hebrew and what it was pointing to in prophecy. Here's what it is, so that when you see that, here's you dug for me, you're going to see precisely what it meant. And this is what it means. Here it is in Philippians 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, he was God himself, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus Christ, and God the Holy Spirit. But here he is in the form of God. He's very God. It says, and this is not a very good translation in the King James, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't consider The fact that he was very God, something to be grasped and held on to. Even though he is God, equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation. God, the Son, made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant. What does that mean? He was made in the likeness of man. He oh, is dug for me. It was a body. Hebrews 10 verse 5 says it was a body. I, you didn't want sacrifice, offerings and sacrifices anymore. Anymore. But he said it was a body you fitted for me. A body you fitted for me to fulfill your will. To bring in many, many, many sons to glory. To be, to, through me, in Isaiah 53, verse 11, this, it would, you and I would be the fruit of the travail of his soul. All his suffering would bring about, through, through you and I, would, we would be the fruit of the accomplishment of his person in work. But he put on, how did he become a servant? How did he become a servant to God to his father? He became a man. God, our creator, became a man. Unbelievable. It takes God to reveal that one. He was made in the likeness of man, God himself, and being found In fashion or form of a man, he humbled himself. God humbled himself and became obedient. (laughs) The two things for you and I to receive the divine active work of Jesus Christ To experience the love of the Father through Christ is obedience and dependence. We're to obey and depend upon the person of Jesus Christ and the work that he accomplished. And we are to continue to constantly receive it to the glory of the Father. Every time we receive, it glorifies God the Father and gives great glory to Jesus Christ. Not when we resist through hardness, but simply and humbly in absolute obedience, dependence to receive it. And he became obedient unto death. Right up to death. Right up to being hung on a cross and all the sins put on him. No wonder he sweat great drops of blood when he was approaching the cross. Literally. It says, and and, uh, wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name, fulfilling Isaiah 45, verse 23, given him a name above every name. And we can confess it, Jesus. We can confess it when we're weak. Jesus we can confess it when we fail Jesus because when we're weak we're strong in Jesus in second corinthians 12 verse 9 and joel 3 verse 10 and when we fail we name Jesus because he dealt with them all and removed them and we we don't even for a split second ever have to know ourselves after after how we failed or after how anyone failed us because we named Jesus and he's our life Jesus he's highly exalted that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and boy boy we can do it now we can bow we can confess his name and bow he is our all He's not only our all in Colossians 3 verse 11. He is all. He's all. And so that's what that psalm is bringing out. And every knee will bow. The things that are in heaven. Those that are in heaven. And those that are in earth. The church. All those born again that are part of the church. All the Old Testament saints. Yes. They're confessing his name. And we, as the church on earth, we're confessing his name. And then it says, even things under the earth. All those that are in hell have to confess his name every time it's named. They have to confess. That every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, we can confess it, he's master. Oh, his love has mastered us. His love has conquered every single thing that could conquer us. He's conquered in Romans 8, verse 37. And to know the love of God, to know the love of Christ in Ephesians 3, verse 19, and it passes, what? It passes knowledge. In other words, it's going to continually be revealed to us for all eternity. We're going to gain knowledge, but then it's going to pass even that for all eternity. That's why time is not big enough. That's why it's, there's not room enough for His glory in time. It's going to be all eternity. So, we're going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, what? To the glory of God. The Father. You know, every time we name His name and we recognize His person and His work and recognize Him in ourselves, it glorifies God the Father. Because we're agreeing with God the Father, we're exalting Jesus Christ. He's above everything, He's above our worst day. That's right. That's right. And we can just bow on our knees. And the truth of it comes in. And he exalts us. We're perfect in him. What an amazing thing. We are so perfect in his love for us. And we're so thankful. So Father, we do thank you. As we've just barely began to touch this 40th Psalm. Fulfilled in Hebrews 10 verse 5. Fulfilled in Philippians 2 5. Through 11. We're so thankful, God. Oh, Lord, we have so much to be thankful for. That's why we can thank you for all things in Ephesians 5.20 and in 1 Thessalonians 5.18. We can thank you in all things because Jesus has done it all. We thank you and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.